The Seahawks struggled once again on the defensive side of the football, losing a 39-32 shootout to the Saints on Sunday. Is there anything positive to say on that side of the football? Rob Rang and I are going to be discussing in our latest Monday Musings installment of Locked on Seahawks. You are Locked on Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me for our Monday episode, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Thanks as always to all the 12s out there for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. The Seahawks fell to 2-3 and three yesterday, a difficult 39-32 loss to the Saints in New Orleans. Certainly felt like a winnable game that got away from them late. Once again, the defense struggling. We're going to have a chance to take a look at some key takeaways from that game with our Monday musings. Also going to be answering mailbag questions on our Monday mailbag as well. Jam-packed episode coming your way, courtesy of Prize Picks. Prize Picks is daily fantasy made easy. Pick two to five players, and if they score more or less than their Prize Picks projection, you can win up to 10 times your money on any entry. First-time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code Locked On. That's prizepicks.com, promo code Locked On. Now for your lead story here on Locked On Seahawks. The Seahawks had momentum early in the third quarter yesterday in New Orleans. They had the football coming out of the half. They were leading 19-17. to 17. They were in good position despite a flurry of mistakes made in the first half. And then Rashad Penny, what everybody has been holding their breath not to happen. Unfortunately, it happened. The star running back going down with a serious ankle injury. It didn't look good as soon as he was on the ground, Rob. He was trying to push himself back on his backside, did not stand up after suffering the injury. It was very clear that this was significant. And we find out today, after leaving the field on a cart yesterday, Seattle's greatest fears are realized. It's a broken fibula to go with a high ankle sprain. That is a bad mix. If he just had a broken fibula, there might have been an outside chance that he could have made it back late in the season. But you add in that high ankle sprain component, and unfortunately, the Seahawks will be without the home run hitting back for the remainder of the season. It's a huge blow for their offense, and you really got to feel for the young man how much he has gone through in his NFL career, constant injuries for this to happen again, and really a fluky injury one that certainly isn't going to make him look injury prone. Anybody would have got hurt on that play. It's it really is a tragic injury in so many different ways, Corbin. And, and I, I don't use the word tragic very often to describe football players and, and injuries, but I just think that if you're close to the team um, and, and you recognize just how much work that Rashad Penny has put in to to shed that label of being injury prone, um, then I, I think that it's really difficult. Uh, it's a really difficult day. Um, it was a really difficult injury to watch happen because, as you said, it was a type of injury that you know any player that gets his foot caught the way that he did, uh, or his leg, I guess I should say, the way that he did, it looked serious from the get go. The way that his face, facial expressions when he suffered the injury. Uh, and was trying to shuffle his way backwards, get off the field, but at the same time recognize that this was a serious one. He wasn't about to hop up and have his teammates try to help him off. 
he, he recognized it. You, you could see the players that huddled around him, even the coaches and trainers who huddled around him. You could just see how, how Ashfall in his face was that, that he knew this was serious. Um, you know, I'm not terrific at reading lips, but you could basically tell that he was saying that he broke it or it snapped or something to that effect. And just, again, just crestfallen with the way that, that, that he looked at that exact moment. And so I, I feel terrible for him as an individual, as a young man who obviously signed the one-year deal to return to the Seahawks. He was gambling on himself in this situation, and he was winning that gamble by, by having a spectacular performance so far. I mean, he was setting himself up to have the type of contract to wind up basically paying not only for the rest of his life, but for you know his loved one's lives in the future as well. And that's just about Rashad Penny. Let's look at it from a Seahawks perspective as well. You had one of the most dynamic one-two punches in all of the NFL with him and, and Ken Walker the third. Uh, you know, and, and so to lose arguably the most consistent part of your offense outside of quarterback Geno Smith, which we'll be talking about, of course, as we move forward today, is a serious, serious shot to this club. And especially for it to happen in a winnable game. As you said, the Seahawks were up at that point. But once that injury happened, then it did feel like that just kind of sucked some of the wind out of their sails. And obviously, Seattle um, is sitting here on Monday now, two and three, rather than three and two, as it felt like they could have been if number 20 had been able to stay on the field and be able to produce some of the big plays that he has done already so far this season. I hate to draw parallels to another injury that Rashad Penny suffered, but back in December 2019, when he tore his ACL at the Coliseum when they were facing the Rams, it seemed like there was a very similar air getting sucked out of the building type feeling for the Seahawks when that injury happened. Because you may remember, Rob, that was really the first time that we saw him breaking out. He was coming off of two really good games against the Eagles and the Vikings where he racked up a bunch of yardage, showed off his playmaking ability, was really coming into his own. And they were driving down the field against the Rams defense on that first drive. They were poised to go score seven points. And then he gets hurt on a non-contact injury. Yesterday felt much the same, a more brutal injury with it being the broken leg variety. And he could just see the way that the defender landed on his leg awkwardly. It just didn't look good from the outset. But I think that that contributed to that third quarter being such a lull for the Seahawks. I mean, you could tell his teammates the way that they reacted to that, like not again for one of your big time playmakers to have that happen to him, to have that kind of injury misfortune. Uh, it just, it really, for me, being somebody that has had the chance to talk to Rashad Penny quite a bit and get to know the guy and how good of an individual this guy is. And, and the comment he made only less than a week ago, that he re-signed for the, with the Seahawks in part because he felt he owed it to the organization for all the injuries that he had had and missing all those games. He wanted to go out again and prove, I am this dynamic playmaking threat, and he was doing it in these first four and a half games. It's just like Pete Carroll said on the radio this morning, it makes your heart ache, especially when you look at the injury history. And there's going to be that durability tag always to Rashad Penny because you look at the games he's missed. 2018, he missed two games of the knee strength. 2019, he missed three games with a hamstring strain, and then he tore his ACL at the end of the season, wound up missing 16 games between the 2019 and 2020 season. He played in just three games in 2020. 2021, he missed six games with a calf strain. He missed a game with a hamstring, and now we add this broken fibula to the equation. 
he is going to miss the final 12 games of the season. So you add everything together. And it's just unfortunate saying this because he, this is a really easy young man to root for that is humble. He he's been humbled by the things that have happened to him in his career. And we saw the success, just how good this player can be in his last nine or 10 games that he's gotten to play in really was one of the best running backs in the NFL in those last nine or 10 games. Finally got to see that talent for this to happen to him again. It just makes your heart sink. And I'm just going to say this, uh, Rashad, best wishes coming back from this injury. And I'm hopeful that he gets another chance to run for the Seahawks. This is an injury I think he can make it back from. But like Pete Carroll said today, with that high ankle sprain out of the equation, this is going to be another very uh, lengthy recovery process for him. It it really is. And I would echo those sentiments to Rashad Penny and his friends, his family, uh, you know, on a personal note. Um, at the same time, of course, this is the Locked on Seahawks podcast, and you got to be really excited about what you saw from Ken Walker III yeah. um, when he did get pushed onto the field for the Seahawks. Also, Seattle made a significant move in, in signing Tony Jones uh, you know, fr- from the New Orleans Saints, interestingly enough. Previously played his college ball uh, at Notre Dame, so this is a player who has had big-time success at the college level as well as the NFL. 5'11", 225-pounder who's got some size some thump to him doesn't have that elite 4-4 speed that the Seahawks are losing with Rashad Penny um, but at the same time you know unfortunately uh, you know the NFL can stand for not for long and the Seahawks do not have the luxury of being able to uh, basically just you know um, worry about the fact that they just lost a dynamic player, Rashad Penny. They've got to can keep going. Um, and then of course they have a, a tough divisional foe in the Arizona Cardinals coming up here this weekend. Um, and that is a team that they are going to have to be able to run the ball if they are going to have any chance of, of being the Cardinals. So I'm excited about the flashes that we've already seen from Ken Walker the third. Obviously, the long touchdown run um, in this past game really gave you the, the first real indication of what this young man can do and what an incredible run that it was by the way running to his left seeing the cutback lane to his right and then just taking off showing the vision the burst uh the balance through contact that we saw at michigan state and previously at wake forest as well so really excited about all of that um but again there there's no doubt about it. the the big story here is the loss of number 20 and the fact that that will have a significant impact on the seahawks moving forward this season and perhaps much further down the road as well Yeah, and I guess the one thing you can say for those that were critical of the Seahawks picking Ken Walker III in the second round, that pick now is going to look like a great one for Seattle. He can step into Rashad Penny's spot and keep this run game going. Obviously a dynamic talent, reigning Doke Walker award winner. He's now going to get a shot, and number nine will get to show that he can be the feature back, and maybe he's the guy if he takes advantage of this, and that would be the downside for Rashad Penny here, obviously missing his time. And maybe Ken Walker the third seizes this chance and he becomes their bell cow moving forward. We're going to answer your mailbag questions coming up next here on the Locked on Seahawks podcast. Don't go away. Corbin, we've got a big Monday night game tonight between the Chiefs and the Raiders. I'm picking Patrick Mahomes, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, and Travis Kelsey to continue their torrid start to the season with 300 yards passing, 
100 all-purpose yards and a touchdown, uh, and and another score for Travis Kelsey, respectively, as well. You know, and, and I love me some Devontae Adams, and, and the combination between he and, of course, his former Fresno State uh, counterpart, Derek Carr, but I still think that the Kansas City Chiefs have the secondary to keep Adams in check, so I am very much betting against uh, Devontae Adams going for the 125 yards and score that some are anticipating. Now, those might seem like bold leaps, but with prize picks, it's easy to play daily fantasy and put those entries, those prognostications to the test. Pick two to five players, and if they score more or less than the prize picks projection, then you can win up to 10 times your money on any entry. There's no competing against other people. It's just you against the projections available. Prize Picks offers projections on any sport that you watch, not just the NFL, but the NBA, Major League Baseball, NHL, PGA, college football, NASCAR, MMA, boxing, and more. If you want to bet disc golf, you can do it. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's that easy. It's safe with fast withdrawals. It is currently operational in over 30 states as well as Canada. So download the Prize Picks app or go to prizepicks.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First-time users can receive 100% instant deposit match of up to $100 with the promo code locked on. So what that means is that if you deposit $100, Prize Picks is going to give you $100. If you don't want to deposit quite that much, if you deposit $50, Prize Picks is going to uh, match that and give you $50. Don't forget to enter the promo code locked on and sign up for an instant deposit match of up to $100. Again, that's prizepicks.com. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Monday Musings edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me for today's show, my co host in crime, Rob Rain. Thanks to all the 12s out there for sticking with us and listening five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. Make sure to check out the NFL Key Predictions every Friday on Locked On NFL. Locked On's local experts give you the inside scoop on the five biggest games of the NFL weekend, including Sunday and Monday night football, plus betting advice from the field's leading experts at Bet Online. Follow NFL Key Predictions every Friday on Locked On NFL, available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts. It's time for our Monday mailbag segment. Tons of questions from you, the 12s. We're going to answer as many as we can here in our second quarter. And we have several questions that were explicitly for either one or the other of our hosts here. So, Rob, without further ado, we're going to kick it off. A question that was explicitly given for you coming from Ryan Walro tweets, for Rob, what schematic changes should the defensive staff for the Seahawks make to get their star players, such as Daryl Taylor and Jordan Brooks, back to the level we know they are capable of playing at? Um, you know, schematic switches. I don't know if there's a lot of them, to be honest with you. I have a hard time imagining that Seattle is suddenly going to just switch gears and start suddenly or playing a lot more of the four, three looks, those, those bare fronts that we have seen in the past. Um, I, I think if Seattle is going to do anything of that nature, then that bare front might be something that you see them because, you know, this is a little bit different than what we've seen in the past years. I know that there are some parallels, obviously Seattle has struggled. 
you know, over the first five, six games of, of this season, just the way that they have the last couple of games. But of course, you know, you might remember that uh, it was against the secondary where Seattle was struggling uh, a year ago. And it's against the run, very much against the run, where this team is just hemorrhaging yardage, hemorrhaging points. So I don't think that you're going to see some schematic changes. And I would beg to differ a little bit with Jordan Brooks specifically. I thought that he had a terrific game uh, th this past weekend against the Saints. The most explosive hits consistently, I thought, were supplied by Jordan Brooks. So while I do have my concerns with some of Seattle's other players, and I assume we're going to get into them a little bit more moving forward. I do think that there is plenty of reason to be confident that Jordan Brooks, at least individually, is coming around. And then historically, the fact that Seattle has started off as slow as they have and then figured it out as the season has gone on, I do think that Pete Carroll's track record speaks for itself in that regard. And I do think that Seattle, not necessarily schematically, I think more personnel-wise, are going to figure things out and play a lot better football moving forward. Our next question here coming from Jim Osmer tweets, can the defense switch back to a 4-3 at midseason and what would the front seven look like? So this is kind of piggybacking off of what you just had in your first question here. I don't see any way that the Seahawks could do this in the middle of the season. And, you know, I guess from one point of view, you could say, hey, credit to the coaching staff for moving on from something that clearly wasn't working. But at the same time, you could also make the argument you've got to stick through this process, and that's what the Seahawks are going to do. Pete Carroll is going to want to install confidence in his coaching staff, the coaches that he hired and promoted this offseason. It would be an underhanded slap to Clint Hurd if you came in after five games. All right, I'm taking back over. We're going back to a 4-3. Okay, so why am I the defensive coordinator, and what does Sean Desai fit in now? So – they're going to continue running the scheme that they are running and just trying to make an adjustment like that, even though a lot of these guys did play in a 4-3 last year. You have a lot of newcomers that did not play in the 4-3 defense last year. And so you would be creating a whole other issue there. You'd be opening another can of worms to deal with, and that would make it much tougher for them to have that midseason turnaround that we've seen the last couple of years. So I don't see any way schematically that the Seahawks are going to be doing that. And I'm just going to say this too. They're running so much nickel that they're still doing a lot of four-man fronts anyway. So you're still seeing a lot of those even fronts up front. So it's not like they've completely gone 3-4 and that's all they're running. They're still running a lot of four-man fronts with base, and it really comes down to execution more so than scheming at this point. So they've got to play better. The coach has got to put their players in a little better position to succeed, and then they've got to be able to execute. They're not going to be flipping back to a 4-3 middle of the season. It's simply not happening. Next question here for Rob coming from Simple Sly Tweets. With Geno Smith's high quarterback rating and his accurate throw percentage, should the talks of a quarterback in the first round of the NFL draft stop? And I know we talked about this last week, but it just seems like with every big game that Geno has, suddenly this question keeps popping back up. And I think for at least semi-good reason. Oh, yeah, no question about it. I mean, Geno Smith has absolutely been the story of, of the Seahawks season so far. At least I'll, I'll say it for myself that he has been the the surprise, the positive surprise for the Seahawks. He, he has been spectacular. I mean, the, the accuracy on complicated throws, uh, very difficult throws, um, you know, ha, has been spectacular. Now, there are still some concerns, not the least of which is his age. And, oh, by the way, since we're talking and giving personal messages to players, then, hey, happy birthday to, to Geno Smith as, as well here. Um, 
at the same time, you know, you're talking about a guy who's in his thirties. You're talking about a guy who's on a one-year contract who is looking to get paid himself, just like Rashad Penny. And so I, I don't know that there should be any feeling of guarantee that Geno Smith is going to come back to Seattle just because he's having a heck of a season. Maybe he will. But at the same time, if he continues this toward start to the season, then he is going to look to be compensated. And the Seahawks, of course, made they at time or the, the controversial decision, at least that was the way it was viewed at the time, to trade Russell Wilson because they didn't want to put too many, too many dollars into the quarterback's back pocket. They want to be able to spread that money around. So can you really justify paying Geno Smith an awful lot of money? Which again, if he continues this, this style of play, then he is going to justifiably want that. And then, oh, by the way, this is a terrific quarterback class. You've got the two first-round picks, the two second-round picks. You should take advantage of this draft class. I think Seattle is very much playing on you know, riding Geno Smith out not only this year, but hopefully in the future as well because he's earned it to this point. But still, you've got to plan for the future and be anticipating, at least at this point, that you're going to be using one of those top four picks on a quarterback, perhaps even more than one. I feel like this is a topic that we're going to have to expand upon just a little bit more because there are a lot of moving parts when you're looking at a possible extension for Geno Smith or franchise tagging, whatever they would end up choosing to do. Each game he plays well, his price tag is going up, and that impacts what Seattle may or may not do in the draft. So it's still early in the season. But again, I think we have a lot to discuss on that front. This question coming from Chris Watkins tweets, Hi, Corbin. Such bad news on Rashad Penny. Wish that young man all the best, but do you see the Seahawks looking for some veteran running back help and maybe some defensive line help? Hello, Carolina Panthers. So this is a very good current events-based question because the Panthers today, after just five games, fired Matt Rule, and the Panthers only won 11 games during his time on the sidelines. It probably was time to cut the cord there and move on, but Carolina, even though they're one and four, they have plenty of talent on their roster. Of course, Christian McCaffrey's name's getting thrown out there. Brian Burns, the receiver, uh, Moore as well, DJ Moore. They've got a number of talented players that may be shocked here before the trade deadline because they're heading towards another major rebuild with a new head coach. Maybe they won't trade any of those players. But if I'm the Seahawks, I'm certainly calling them about a few of these players. Brian Burns would be a really fun player in a 3-4 defense. I actually would love to see that. If Daryl Taylor's not going to perform, maybe you can go out and get Brian Burns. He does need a new contract, though. There have been some questions about his effort sometimes in Carolina, but maybe a change of scenery playing for this defense with a team that's still very much in the hunt of the NFC West maybe would change things. Right now, I'm not expecting the Seahawks to be very aggressive at the deadline making such moves, but... John Schneider never leaves a stone unturned. So I would anticipate he's at least going to call his old buddy, Scott Fitterer, and see, hey, maybe we can make a deal, give you some draft picks. We bring in some talented players that can maybe help our struggling defense. So I could see Seattle maybe calling about it. I just don't foresee there being much activity for this team, given the state of the franchise where they're at in their own rebuild. Next question for Rob coming from Santino. How long should we have to expect Cody Barton to keep getting starting reps and why haven't we tried some of our players on the practice squad? It's been the looming question the last couple of weeks and it was another rough game yesterday for Cody Barber. 
It was, um, you know, at the same time, he, he actually led the Seahawks in, in tackles. And so for people who all they do is look at the box score, then they're going to say, well, what the heck? You know, Cody Barton had 12 tackles against uh, the New Orleans Saints. He's doing fine. Well, he's not doing fine. Far too many of those tackles are, are happening four, five, six, ten 10 yards downfield. Uh, and, and so I think that the Seahawks are, are very much trying to improve upon that. Um, and that's not just my opinion. That's looking at the game tape. And looking at the, the player statistics, Christian Jones is a player who has previously been on Seattle's practice squad. He got some opportunities on defense as well as special teams. Uh, Colin Glaspia, um, who played some fullback, has also played some linebacker. Um, he is getting more and more playing time on special teams as well. Obviously, you've got the, and I say this with true affection, Graybeard and Nick Ballore, who is getting plenty of time on special teams. Maybe he is going to get a little bit more uh, you know, time on, on defense as well. I say all those players, and I don't know that any of them are better than what you already have with Cody Barton. And that's the thing. Problem. And, I, and that, that's the problem is that, again, we, we talked about this back in training camp where I was very concerned about the fact that Seattle only had a couple of linebackers that had any type of real experience. And then you go back to, to Cody Barton and what made him very good at the University of Utah when Seattle selected him a couple of years back. I mean, he was more of a rover linebacker. He is a guy that is better suited to the 4-3. That's his game, his instincts, his speed, not necessarily his physicality, his power. Um, and so I, I do think that this is going to continue to be a bit of a learning curve for him. I do expect that he is going to uh, improve as time goes on. He is an instinctive player. He can be a physical player. And I know he wants it. This is a guy who plays hard and works hard to improve. But at the same time, Seattle has to get better if they want to have any type of success. And it just simply has not been effective enough for this team to have a winning record. And our last question here coming from Roger Venu tweets, what, if any, moves could the Hawks make at this point to improve personnel? Ford is clearly having trouble lining up directly in front of offensive linemen, but it seems like they aren't going to scheme out of this. So who can they put in the field that they have or where can they find help? So this kind of leans on the Panthers' question from a few moments ago. I just don't see John Schneider being aggressive, at least by his terms of being aggressive, before the trade deadline. I mean, if Seattle rattles off a couple wins here before the deadline, then maybe John Schneider does go out and try to add a linebacker. He tries to add a defensive tackle. But I can't see him making any even semi-splashy moves before the deadline. I think if they're going to improve – it is going to be with the players they have internally. I mean, maybe that means more snaps for Miles Adams. I thought he had a few good plays yesterday, not getting a lot of opportunities so far this year. He's been a healthy scratch for more than half their games, but maybe Miles Adams gets more opportunities. LJ Collier started practicing last week. Maybe he fits into the equation at linebacker. John Radigan, maybe that's a name to keep an eye on. Trey Brown, we've been talking about his upcoming return. Maybe he's your left corner instead of Mike Jackson. I thought Jackson played fine yesterday, so I don't think there's any major issues there. But Trey Brown could be an immediate upgrade there with the way he played last year if he's fully healthy. Ryan Neal played fairly well yesterday in his first start of the season, so maybe they've already upgraded that position. Those are the kind of moves they got to make. But ultimately, it's going to bail. It's going to come back to the veterans have to play better than what they have at this point, and they're going to have to mix and match some guys. Maybe Alton Robinson comes back. That's another name to throw in there. But to improve, it's going to have to be the players on their roster. I just don't see them making any crazy moves that are going to suddenly improve this roster through the trade market or in free agency. Coming up next, it's Monday Musings. We're going to dish out our 
key takeaways coming out of yesterday's loss in New Orleans, offense, defense, and special teams. Sure, there's going to be some disagreements coming our way as well here on our Monday episode. We'll get to that here in a moment. If you haven't tried Built Bar Puffs yet, you are depriving yourself of one of life's greatest joys. And guess what? There's a new flavor, delicious, indulgent cookie dough covered in chocolate. That's right. Built has done it again. Let me introduce you to your new favorite. It's one of my new favorites, cookie dough chunk puffs. They're light. They have a chewy texture, real cookie dough chunks. And of course, they're covered in 100% real chocolate. You get all the joys of eating cookie dough without the hassle of making it. That's always a big win. Plus, it's healthy for you. Only 160 calories and cookie dough chunk puffs have a whopping 15 grams of protein in them. Like all built Bars, the new cookie dough chunk puff is covered in 100% real chocolate. It's healthy. It's tasty. Light, fluffy texture. Tastes so, so good. And it's made with collagen protein, which your body absorbs more efficiently, and it provides a ton of health benefits. Eat something that tastes good and is good for you. Go to built.com and use the promo code locked on 15 and get 50% off your order. Again, that's built.com. Use the promo code locked on 15 and you'll get 50% off your next order. You're listening to the locked on Seahawks podcast, Monday musings edition. This is Corbin Smith joining me as always my co-host in crime. Rob Rang, thanks to all the 12s out there for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. And for your second listen, make sure to check out the Peacock and Williamson NFL show. Brian Peacock and former NFL scout Matt Williamson give you the expert NFL analysis in less than 30 minutes. It's free and available wherever you get your podcast. The Seahawks falling to two and three yesterday. A disappointing 39-32 loss to the Saints truly was a game that felt like the Seahawks should have won, and they let get away. There were too many penalties in this game, too many miscues on offense, defense, and special teams, and you simply cannot do that when you go on the road to a hostile environment like the Caesar Superdome and expect to win. The Seahawks had their opportunities, and they let it slip through their grasp. You could see the disappointment. You could hear the disappointment in Pete Carroll's voice and the players' voices yesterday after the game. Let's get to our Monday musings, our in-depth takeaways after re-watching the game. And we got to start on the offensive side of the football where Seattle did put up 32 points, another really good performance on the offensive side of the ball. What stood out to you, Rob? Well, I think one of the, the very first things is the fact that, uh, that again, Geno Smith has been terrific. Um, I, I think that when you look at the numbers that he is posting up in terms of his completion percentage, um, you know, it just kind of speaks for itself. But at the same time, while there's a lot of people out there who are very much kind of you know patting him on the back and saying how brilliant that he's been, to me, one of there's there's two statistics other than the score, obviously. There's two statistics that I look for when it comes to offense that I think basically can tell you who's going to win the football game, and that is time of possession, and that is third down conversion rate. Seattle finished one of nine on third down conversions, and of course they were 0 for 1 on fourth down conversions. And then when it came to time of possession, and obviously this has a great deal to do with their inability to slow down the the Wildcat and Taysom Hill in particular, but still. The Seattle had the ball for 22 minutes and 25 seconds. Now you contrast that with the New Orleans Saints, who had the ball for 37 minutes 
in 35 seconds with a backup quarterback without their top three wide receivers. And so to me, while I'm kind of talking a little bit offense, a little bit defense here, as brilliant as Geno Smith has been, Corbin, I really think that there had to be more conversions, especially down the stretch, where it just felt like he did get a little bit cute, a little bit looking downfield for big play opportunities, a little bit Russell Wilson-like at times, and being able to make quick decisions, get the ball, get out of the pocket, throw those quick dump off passes, but keep the chains moving, get your defense a little bit of a rest because clearly they were giving up yardage and, and just, you know, and, and getting gashed. Uh, and so to me, that is one of the takeaways I have is look, I think Geno Smith has been terrific. I don't think he's been quite as good as what some others out there have suggested that he has been playing. And I'm going to disagree with you on that. I think he's every bit as good as what everybody's raving about right now, because think about this, Rob, two Two of the third downs that didn't end up getting converted. One of them was a perfect pass in the end zone to DK Metcalf, and Metcalf dropped it. I mean, Geno Smith threw it the only place that Metcalf is going to get it that the defender can't get his hands on it. He threw it low enough that the defender couldn't get his outstretched arm out there and deflect the pass, and DK Metcalf dropped it. That should have been his second touchdown of the game. He should have had three touchdowns in the first half, and Metcalf unfortunately dropped that one. And then you have another instance where he rolled out to his left and Charles Cross ends up getting flagged for holding that he threw a touchdown to Metcalf that he actually caught that time. That holding penalty pushed him back, and I believe it was third and 18, and obviously they did not convert there. So you just take out two touchdowns out of the equation on third down. I think we'd be having a lot different discussion. Obviously, there were a few third downs that he took sacks that he shouldn't have taken was holding onto the football a bit longer. But I think some of that was also the scheming. Seattle was attacking downfield more in this game, and they had a ton of success doing it. Those two long touchdowns to Tyler Lockett, by the way, those were two of the most impressive throws that I've ever seen. And we talk about Russell Wilson all those times drop, uh, dropping the ball in the bucket. Geno Smith, the two throws he made to Tyler Lockett were as impressive as, as I have seen any Seahawks quarterback make on downfield throws yesterday. He had a throw where he was throwing across his body to the left that he hit Noah Fant for a 32-yard gain. I mean, there were so many plays that stood out. He should have got picked in the first quarter. There was a play that he tried to squeeze it into Noah Fant, and it got deflected by, I believe that was a Debo that got his hands on it and wasn't able to complete the interception. But otherwise, I thought he played another masterful game. And third downs to me, for the most part, he was not getting support or that holding penalty. I have to agree with Pete Carroll. I'm not sure what they were calling there. That looked like a clean play to me. Everybody's grabbing on the frame in the interior on the offensive line every single play. I thought that was a ticky-tack penalty. But to me, yeah, the third down issues certainly were a problem. But that's maybe my negative is as good as the Seahawks were on offense. I didn't think that Geno got as much support yesterday. There was also a drop that Will Disley had on first down that would have made it second and short. And instead, it was second and 10. Those type of drops, they end up coming back to bite you and they put you in tougher third down situations. And it's always more difficult on third and long to convert. And so Seattle just had a lot more of those situations in this game. And a lot of them were from self inflicted wounds. So that's really the big thing for me on offense. The third down obviously has to be much better than one for nine, but I'm not pegging a lot of that on number seven. 
I'm pegging a fair amount of it on number seven. I'm I'm pegging the fact that uh, that Seattle consistently is getting to the line of scrimmage late. That they are waiting until uh, you know the the play clock the play clock is very very low. I mean it's predictable. They're basically waiting until one on the play clock um, before they make their snaps. And, and that's basically just the side adjustment that they're doing. Rather than listening for Geno Smith, uh, they're looking at the clock and all getting off the ball at the same time. Um, and, and so that is going to lead to a terrific defense, like we talked about the Saints have and the noise uh, in the Superdome, that it was going to ultimately be too much for the Seahawks. So I, I hate to mix my sport analogies here, especially considering that I am terrible when it comes to golf. But this, sometimes I thought that the Seahawks and Geno Smith in this game and Russell Wilson in the past has kind of had a mentality of kind of drive for show, but you got to putt for dough. When, when the game is on the line, I want to see Geno Smith prove that he is playing at this incredible level. Again, the statistics say what he's playing, and you're absolutely right. He is dropping balls in the bucket that are just beautiful throws but I want to see them happen at the end of the game. He did it in the end of the half. That, that, that play, the, the Tyler Lockett touchdown, was gorgeous. And so that's what encouraged me. I thought, okay, here we go. You're going to see Geno Smith take the Seahawks to a whole different level. But the fact that the Seahawks failed in this game, in a winnable game, as you said. Now, number seven isn't playing on defense. But still, at the same time, I do think that that is something that we have to acknowledge here. And then again, really quickly, before we switch, since we are to getting a little bit adversarial here, and you talked about some uh, some some mistakes that the home team made. And I'll mention a couple of other mistakes that the home oh, team made. Oh, no, 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 no. We're not, we're not going down that road today. We're not, no, no. Anyways, but uh, I just want to mention that as well, that since you put it out there on social media that you were, uh, you know, kind of a tried and true Toronto Blue Jays fan, that it wasn't, you know, unfortunately for the Seahawks, the Seahawks general manager, John Schneider, you know, what was part of a losing effort on Sunday, but there was another John Schneider, the manager of the Toronto Blue Jays, who I'm not too disappointed is going to be spending the offseason trying to retool his franchise as well. Let's talk defense now because you, you've got me in venting mode, and so that's a perfect segue to talk about this historically terrible defense that became the ninth team ever yesterday to have three straight games giving up 145 or more rushing yards and at least two rushing touchdowns, 235 yards on the ground, two separate 100-yard rushers in Taysom Hill. And I'm still – that's mind-boggling to me. You know what he's going to do every time he comes in the game, and yet the Seahawks simply could not stop him. He puts the dagger in him with a 60-yard touchdown. Quandre digs with a bad missed tackle. I could sit here and talk. There are positives. And I would love to be positive here because Tariq Woolen is playing at a borderline Pro Bowl level as a rookie. He has just been phenomenal. He was their best player on defense yesterday. They're getting contributions from Kobe Bryant. I still thought Bo, uh, Boy Mafe had some promising plays, had a big hit on Andy Dalton as a pass rusher. There were some missed opportunities for him, but the rookies are not the problem for this defense that's getting gashed week in, week out. That's the only reason that they are getting turnovers is because of their rookies. The veterans have got to step up. I'm talking Puna Ford, who, quite frankly, has gone AWOL this year. The only time I noticed him yesterday was missing a tackle on Taysom Hill in the red zone that was a touchdown eventually. There was another play that he was left, he left grasping for straws, trying to tackle a running back. He just looks like he is 
right now just a mirror of his former self. I don't know what has happened to him this year, whether it's just a scheme or whatever, but he has really struggled. And Quandre Diggs had that big missed tackle, was back in coverage when Adam Troutman caught that touchdown from Taysom Hill and just seemed like he was fooled by what was going on there. He doesn't look comfortable. He's not playing at his usual level. Daryl Taylor, another game with no pressures, and he played plenty of snaps especially with Daryl Johnson now being on injured reserve, and he's still not doing anything. You're not getting any production. So these vets that you are counting on to produce, Al Woods is the exact opposite. Al Woods had to leave, unfortunately, with a knee injury, but he was dominant in the trenches. But you need your other veterans to step up and play at the level that the Seahawks know that they can. Quandry Diggs needs to return to Pro Bowl form. They need Daryl Taylor to be that six-and-a-half sack guy from last year that's consistently turning up pressure on quarterbacks. And they obviously need Puna Ford to start playing like he did his first four years in the league and be a disruptive force up front. They're just not getting enough from their veterans right now. And that's up to Pete Carroll and company to put them in positions where they can succeed. And then the players, they've got to execute. It's still all about execution with this defense more than anything. I don't think it's schematic at this point. I think it's they're, they're running the schemes the way they need to, but the players aren't executing it. And it really falls on the veterans, the ones that you would least expect are going to have these issues. They are the ones that are not producing. That has absolutely got to change. It, it does have to change. And again, I, I do feel confident that it will change. I, I think that, again, if I was going to kind of mix my analogies here, you know, we all know the line, let Russ cook. And I think that there's just too many too many chefs in the kitchen right now on the defensive side of the ball. You've got, of course, Pete Carroll. You've got Clint Hurt as defensive coordinator. You bring in Sean Desai. You bring in Carl Scott. I think there are a lot of different philosophies. They're all kind of being jumbled together. I've argued for you know basically this entire offseason that I think a lot of Seattle's best players are better suited to the 4-3 alignment. Now, that, that may sound like I think I know what I'm talking about more than John Schneider of the Seahawks and Pete Carroll, uh, you know, know what they're doing. And that is not what I'm trying to say here. I, I am among those who really thought that this would be the defense that would truly unleash Daryl Taylor off the edge. And, you know, you, you mentioned him. We, we've talked about him this entire time. I mean, he has been one of the biggest disappointments. But I thought that, that the Seahawks did have something they could kind of at least lean on in Quandre Diggs and Puna Ford. And the fact that Seattle has re-signed both of those players, and yet both of them are playing at very much an average or below average level at this point, uh, has got to be concerning. Again, obviously, you got to get more improvement. You got to get some improvement from Taylor. You got to get some improvement from from Cody Barton. Um, but it's just it's it's a huge problem across the entire board when it comes to the defensive side of the ball. And I love that you mentioned the rookies because I we have seen some flashes from Mafia. I love the you know the Peanut Tillman punches that we're seeing from from Kobe Bryant and just the savviness and coverage he is locating the football, um, you know, and, and making the same type of plays that helped him win the Jim Thorpe Award. And of course, Tariq Woolen, as you said, Corbin, I mean, it's not only defensive rookie of the year honors he should be getting talked about right now. He absolutely should be getting some Pro Bowl praise. I mean, he has been spectacular. So again, I 
I, I think that when we started this season, there was a lot of talk that, you know, people were expecting Seattle to finish eight and eight or lower. If you had said that the two rookie offensive tackles would be playing the level of their playing and that you would have a potential pro bowler at the cornerback position as well, then I think that a lot of people, and, and Geno Smith, oh, by the way, will be playing at the level that he is, that I think a lot of people would be pretty happy with the fact that you're two and three. What is frustrating is it feels like they could be doing more. And I think that's a good sign that this is a sign. This is a club that is not satisfied with just having this rebuild season. They're looking to compete right now. And that sets up that much better for next year when you do have this renewed confidence and the people who are making the decisions in terms of personnel and that this club is going the right direction. It just feels like they're struggling right now. But again, the teams that you're losing to are some of the better teams, at least in my opinion, in the league. I don't think I can agree with you on that. Detroit and New Orleans were missing all their key cogs for the most part, and you gave up 45 points and 39 points to them. Uh, the opponents, I mean, the Lions just got shut out by the New England Patriots yesterday. So that game suddenly looks really bad for this defense. So, yeah, you've got the rookies playing well, but there's a lot of things that have got to be cleaned up. There are positives. There's no question about it. The thing is, they're getting overlooked by the fact that they, as a unit with 11 players, they have too many veterans that simply are not playing close to their potential right now. And that is really holding this unit back. They've got to get things fixed. Pete Carroll knows it. Clint Hurt knows it. But they got to show it on the field. You can talk, say words all you want. But until they actually fix things on the field, we're going to keep having the same discussions, unfortunately. And as for the special teams, it was atrocious, but... Jason Myers, Michael Dixon, those guys, they can breathe a sigh of relief because we're low on time and we'll have to talk special teams on tomorrow's episode. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. You can check out Locked on Seahawks and Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and streaming five days a week on YouTube. Coming up tomorrow, we'll have Tell the Truth Tuesday, and I guarantee we'll be telling plenty of truths about how bad the special teams play was and much more. You won't want to miss it. Enjoy the rest of your Monday. Thanks for listening. Go Hawks.